1: Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us is my friend Maria Inejosa. She has won pretty much every single award in journalism that is possible and also she's the author of Once I Was You. Thank you so much for being here this morning. <laughs> you have a lot of awards, you're 30 time, 30 year career. Um you're epic. Good morning. You know what, Serlina
0: here's a, I can poke fun. I can say I have won every major <laughs> journalist award named after a white man that you could possibly
1: win. <laughs> I know that's where you were going with that that is so funny <laughs> oh my gosh good morning oh it's so great to have good you morning, on love
0: um so, so good to be with you there
1: there's a lot going on and we're just a oh, couple yeah. of weeks out from the midterm elections and so my first question is just how are you feeling about that at this moment a couple of weeks out
0: oh you know i i'm i'm It's kind of low-key guerrilla warfare internally in my home Mm. um, or or my emotions because, you know, I'm going from very, you know, very potentially interested and excited with certain things that I'm hearing, and then I hear other things. Mm. It's just like, okay, that that bubble burst. Um, I'm deeply concerned about the state of our democracy. I'm deeply concerned with the Democratic Party and its messaging and... <clears throat> what I believe is a failed opportunity mm-hmm. that, that still really rests on the failed opportunity of the Obama administration in its first term is to understand more closely how potentially more progressive this country is and could be if you give them a path. The only path right now that's really clear in terms of messaging is, <clears throat> you know, build a wall. They're the problem. We're getting run over by, you know, by by refugees and Mm -hmm. migrants and 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 black people are out of control and scary and they want to take over. And all of this ridiculous narrative of fear, which is not the way most. I mean, in middle America, where there is, you know, uh, increasing demographic diversity, you know, People actually mostly get along, mm-hmm. like in New York City, New York right. City, it's just like New York is like, Yo, we, we can do this. People get along in in general, but then there's all this horror, like greed and white supremacy and patriarchy, et cetera. Sorry, that was a downer.
1: <laughs> no, no, I think that that's a perfect place to start because i in terms of the message, one of the things that I think the Democrats in this moment are not taking advantage of the opportunity, as you said. We saw in 2020 a little bit of a shift in, in some parts of the country, in some parts of the Latino vote, right? So the, the opportunity is understanding the demographic shift in the country and the fact that with demographic shifts and generational shifts, frankly, um, the country is more progressive. All the data shows that the people who are coming of age, turning 18, they are more progressive than the, generation, the generations that came before them. And they're larger than the generations that came before them. Gen Z is bigger than millennials. Millennials are bigger Correct. than boomers, right? So Correct. so it's so clear that there is an opportunity if the right message and strategy in terms of turning out those people, right, in terms of the path, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, is clear. But there are so many, like, voter suppression laws passed after 2020. One of the questions I had for you, and it's a perfect time to ask is how, does, how do the voter suppression laws that were passed in states like Georgia, which is having significant demographic shifts, or in Arizona, which obviously um, has under, undergone significant demographic shifts, how, does that, how do those laws impact the ability of Latino voters to actually exercise the power that they have in terms of their numbers?
0: Well, it's not a surprise. <laughs> it's just not <laughs> a surprise that the states that you mentioned, for example, let's just take those two. Georgia and Arizona, why did both of them go blue? Because it was because of the Latino Latina vote and and led by black women, obviously. But the, the trending is with these, if you make that connection, right, between Black Lives Matter and pro-immigrant rights and understand that immigration is a black issue mm-hmm. that Latinos and Latinas uh, identify uh, with Black Lives Matter the way my mother identified with the civil rights movement and, and Martin Luther King even though we were not black. Uh, that if you understand this connection and this potential of what you said right on the, right on, right on the nose, right? It was a uh, younger and larger percentage, who are they? So I'm just going to drop another little piece of data, which, you know, when I found this out, I was like, okay, it's another one of those data points that is going to stick with you. And it's going to mm-hmm. stick with you. It's about the median age of Latinos and Latinas in the United States of America. The
1: median age. Do you know what it is? I don't know it I, I know that it's very, it's like in the twenties. Is it? Used
0: to know. be
1: 18. Okay.
0: Used to be 18 it's 11 whoa i didn't know that oh, i know that and 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 <laughs> and that should be frankly you know like celebrated like the way you know like reporting about it talking about it, how fascinating wow this is interesting wow so so it's not a surprise that those states in particular are targeted and that they suppress the vote not only with ugh, god you know they can't find or i don't have my whatever I, you know, whatever the barriers are, or they close down my, my polling station or et cetera, it is in general, uh, just like, oh my God, I don't even like, nah, it sounds too complicated. Nah, you know, I just won't go like, you know, and, and there are people who will not show up just because it feels too complicated. It feels too, all of those things, all of those are ways of suppressing the vote in general. And so what I say is that if you are interested at all, in um in in protecting democracy in this country, mm-hmm. you have to be talking to young Latinos and Latinas in particular, because they're they're gonna be an increasing part of the voting population in a heartbeat. and um, and again, led by black women whose democratic engagement and hope, You know, I I go to Harriet Tubman, you know, liberation dreams, freedom dreams, women who will not give up Mm -hmm. at all. Um, Those are the those that's the pathway in terms of saving our democracy like that is a pathway. But, you know, the Democrats don't really talk that way. No, they don't really talk. They don't really talk about like, oh, my God. Harriet Tubman, you know, founding mother of our country, Latinos and Latinas, you must follow in her in her footsteps, understand that you have liberation dreams. We are all tied together, you know, black and Latinidad and must come. You know, no, we don't hear that. It's more it's more just not
1: having a message in a pathway. I feel like this is such an important point because I think that the Democrats I mean, what surprises me even today is that I feel like the message is still trying to capture the white suburban voter, right? They're like the the message from 2020 wasn't that you had historic turnout from Black, Latinx, and Indigenous communities and AAPI voters. You had it's that the oh you you got back those suburban voters and that the margins were made up that way. And I'm like I don't know how you do math, but like you can do it. Both ways. You can say, yes, some of the margin was made up here, but certainly historic turnout is also I mean, like one vote is one vote, regardless of whether where it comes from, which vote is easier to get (laughs) one where you don't really have to persuade um, in in terms of like, you know, Tiptoeing around race and, you know, trying to modify your message to to a particular suburban white voter versus speak to civil rights, racial justice and the issues you just talked about um, speak in with the history in mind, invoke people like a Harriet Tubman um, and provide access and a pathway to the ballot box. Like if that feels like an easier strategy than trying to calibrate your message to a white suburban voter. Um, And frankly, when you when you think about it, historically, white voters vote for Republicans. The majority of white voters in America vote for Republicans. That is Mm -hmm. true. That is just a Mm -hmm. fact. Right. So we Mm -hmm. never talk about that fact. Nobody ever says Mm -hmm. that sentence out loud except me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. when you think about what a message could sound like, um, you know, Who are some of the folks that you're listening to for a message like that? Like you don't hear that coming out of a Mark Kelly or Charlie Crist, frankly. And you could see how a message like the one you just laid out could benefit candidates in those specific states.
0: So as you were speaking, I actually went to somebody who is not running for office, but somebody who gave me an interview in the year, I guess it was 2000. Um, it, or 2003, I can't remember, but he was the chief strategic, uh, campaign officer. You know him, Matthew Dowd, Matt Dowd. Um, you've seen him. He's mm-hmm. an, He used to be an ABC News like, column um, commentator, but he was very, very big in the Republican Party. He was managing George W. Bush's reelection, and you know he was <laughs> a problematic president to say the least. When we interviewed him in the early 2000s, what he said is that not one day, not one hour, not one minute goes by where I am not thinking, strategizing, and plotting on how to get the Latino and Latina vote. This is what he understood in the early 2000s yep. because all you need to do is look at the demographics. Yep. So that, I agree with you. I don't, well, actually, I'm, I. it's not a, it's not something I enjoy saying but I think for critical thinkers like your listeners yeah we have to understand so who is running most of the campaigns mm. who 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 runs who runs stuff in our country writ large in general white men cis men uh who present heterosexual of privilege and they're running campaigns too and they're they're managing their uh their candidates All they know is, you know, this kind of old, old playbook (laughs) and the rest of us are like, oh my God, when are you going to, you know, just like, when, when are you going to stop? When are you going to stop? And actually a lot of it has to do with ego. I'm going to, I'm going to, let's see, how can I say this without revealing too much? There's somebody who I know who is the husband of my sister's best friend in a part of Southern Arizona. He's a white guy. He's in his uh, pushing 70. Yeah, no, he's in it's like and this guy decides to run on the Democratic ticket. I'm like, Bro. and he thinks he's like, "Yo, man, I'm giving so much to the people. I'm down with the people." And I'm like, "Bro, could you get off the stage? And if you're going to do that and you want to be down with the people, help a young person of color who is not white to run. Help them. Okay, help them. Figure out how to do, don't, but don't take up the space. And this is what I see in general is that they just don't, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the most fascinating politician in the United States right now. I agree. And it's like they have, they have this diamond right there. And they're like, yeah, no, can you put it back in the cult?
1: No, no, this is a really important. Let, OK, so let's let's talk about it. So so let's just like let's air it out, because I, I, one of the things that I, I don't understand, is like she is a star. The minute I saw her for the first time, I was like star, superstar. And it, 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 you just you just know when you when you see a star. Um, especially in politics, I mean, there's not that many. Um, so you know, you, you, when you, when you really see a, somebody that is shining like a diamond, like you said, um, you you wonder why she isn't utilized by the Democrats. I, I mean, in in strategic ways, she can be utilized in specific ways, especially in the midterm election season. And it feels like part of the hesitation is the fact that they are they get nervous about some of the attacks that are lobbed at her by the right wing i mean the right wing is obsessed with her there's like a new york post story about like you know that she curled <laughs> her hair you know like every hour there's like an aoc update <laughs> something something's going on with aoc and like she's not even doing anything she's just like living her life and for the most part she's like she, does, she doesn't do a lot of interviews like she does like one interview like maybe a quarter you know what i mean she's not overexposed she's very obviously very smart <laughs> she's very savvy right. and understands what's going on um but the democrats don't if she's just getting attacked okay she's a, you know she's a socialist and they don't want that label thrown at you know their more moderate candidates i mean but she represents that the democratic party she represents the future right she's just part of the spectrum of the democratic party which includes Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC and also people who are more moderate. Like that is the that's what the party should be selling, right? Not hiding from. I mean, if you think
0: about again demographics um and you want to get what, what is Stacey Abrams' playbook, right? right. Uh, it's about getting younger voters and people who were not engaged before actively engaged. So <laughs> Who better to do that than someone like AOC who naturally, I mean, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to start doing TikTok. I know I'm going to have to start doing TikTok. And I'm like, <laughs> AOC is just like, she's just like doing it naturally. Like it doesn't, you know, really just does it so naturally, so authentically. And that is what this new generation wants. So it is a generational issue. Are you prepared to start let, letting go of some of your power? And I think, you know, it, it it's a question of again ego, and so if you take the Democratic Party, they're just being completely egotistical. They're not understanding that they're biting off their nose to spite their face, and this is what's so frustrating. Now, again, I had a really beautiful time last week. I was in Houston in a public eighth public school eighth grade, a um, very representative of the demographics of a city like Houston. Mm-hmm. I was talking about my book because it's it's for kids. It's the new version just for kids, written for 8 to 10 years old. Zerlina, I was like, this is so hard. I <laughs> give them a lot of attitude. It's 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 got a lot of attitude. It's very like, nah, nah, you know, like New York <laughs> Street kind of thing. You know, and I'm talking to these kids and I'm just like, oh, my God, I am not connecting with them. You know, you can just like, I'm dying inside. Like, I'm like, oh, my God. Eighth graders, you know. You eighth know graders, are you're the, that's eighth the hardest
1: grade. grade. Oh, Actually, from because, teachers, I've heard that's a very yes, difficult age.
0: Yes, because we thought when we were in eighth grade that we were all that. When in fact, you know, you're <laughs> not but you're trying to be. Anyway and my whole message to them was uh, yes about the book about understanding your history understanding the history of this country you know from a perspective that is not white um, and and but then it was like yo i'm a democracy junkie and i wrote it on the whiteboard i was like i don't know if this is a good thing to say but it's the <laughs> truth i'm i'm like this is who i am Everything that I do is motivated by democracy, by understanding that democracy is, you know, my mom taking me out to a protest when I was eight, a civil rights protest. We didn't have, we weren't citizens. That was taking part of democracy to becoming a citizen, to becoming this. And so I'm like, and the whole country is watching Texas, everybody. And they're just like looking at me like, let me tell you, at the end, they all wanted hugs from me. All of them came up to me and they were like, hug, please, hug, you're another welcome. hug. And so this makes me hopeful because it really was a message about democracy. I was like, as soon as you turn 18, you're going to register. You're going to do this. You're going to make sure that your parents, if they can vote, that they're voting. Blah, blah blah And talking about to them, like, hey, Texas voters, everybody cares. So when I see that, I do get hopeful. But then, you know, the other thing that was just such a downer for last week, as you know, Zerlina, one of the most depressing, and there have been depressing moments, mm-hmm. but this Los Angeles City Council... Oh,
1: my gosh. Horror? Yes. I spoke um, to Speaker Pelosi about it. We just played it. Yeah, it, it was horrifying. I listened to you as much as I like could stomach.
0: Oh, God. Now, it is important, right, that we realize this is not new, and that's what we'll be talking about on, on our show on In the Thick, right? There's, There's a history here, and so now, all right, we're going to go deep. I do think that I don't know that this generation, this younger generation will identify more closely with Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. The way we identified with the civil rights movement. But when you have this kind of ridiculousness, this kind of disgusting horror, it um it just takes us back.
1: It it really it really does. Um and in, in a lot of ways, I think one of the moments that we're in, I mean, there's so many different things intersecting, because we've we've already talked about um, the civil rights movement and Black Lives Matter, um, and that history. But we're also in a moment where Roe is gone. We we ended Roe versus Wade, and we we often on this show talk about the impact of that decision, not necessarily like the politics of it or like you know the pol- politicians and their personalities, or even the, the personalities of the justices themselves, but more so the impact that ruling ha- has in in the present and will have going forward. And one of the things that I think a lot about is the fact that disproportionately it will impact black and brown women and I focus a lot obviously on the black women and because of the you know maternal mortality crisis that has mm-hmm. been you know in the headlines well ever since Kamala Harris became vice president because she made us all focus on that but when I think about the way abortion as an issue in this moment is playing into the midterms how do you see it because I think it's complicated Um, you know abortion I think as an issue Um, even when you talk about black voters you know who are more conservative on many social issues because a lot of them are go to church (laughs) and um, are Christian Um, but similarly there's a large portion of the Latino vote that is Catholic and religious and maybe socially conservative on many issues but does that translate into voting that way on abortion in a moment where they're disproportionately impacted by a ruling like the one in Dobbs, I mean, how do you see it? How do you see it playing out? Because I think it's complicated, but it's also something that I think could galvanize um, Latinas mm-hmm. um, going mm-hmm. into the midterm elections.
0: So it is complicated, and I, um, I I try to own up to when I don't make observations correctly. And I think one of my miscalculations in 2016 was not understanding the impact. Of the abortion issue, on particularly Latina and Latino voters in Florida, mm. like very very zeroing in, like wow. So they are evangelical. They are they are very pro-immigrant rights, um, and on a justice scale, they would probably say that they're even pro Black Lives Matter. But, but that they they say that humanity extends to no one can get access to an abortion, which is the most inhuman, actually, decision that anyone can make for someone else. You you don't have that right. And um, so I think it, I miscalculated in how big it was, particularly in that state. And I think that in general, with an increasingly conservative Latino and Latina evangelical vote, the issue of abortion is, it will move people. Um, mm. I have said that for many young Latinos and Latinas, their first protest. We may not be a pro-immigrant rights protest. It may be an anti-abortion rally. Mm. (laughs) You know, the ones that like the church will have buses, you know, to make sure that you come down to the, you know, March for Life, et cetera, et cetera. But they won't necessarily have buses going to a pro-immigrant rights demonstration, although there also haven't been any because we live in a police state, you know, and so that they have instilled that amount of fear. In people that even mass marching on that scale, if you're undocumented, could be problematic. On the other hand, you know, I teach college. Um, Well, I'm Mexican, honey, so I can never say no to work. So, you know, I have 16 (laughs) jobs. And one of them is that I'm a college professor at my alma mater at Barnard College. And so I see a lot of young women. Um, And you're right, um, this generation is much more progressive. And I think that. That protecting or hoping in some way, shape, or form to either codify, federalize um, abortion access, or making sure that you are, you know, doing what you can in your state—like I see my daughter, like we live in New York, so it's a different situation—but that is a motivating factor. And it, mm-hmm. and for I mean, Kansas, there's an un- un- unpredictability about it. Um, so, like in most things right now, the way I'm feeling about the midterms is more just like, oh, my I God,
1: I don't know. I'm scared. anxious. We say anxious.
0: <laughs> very, very anxious. Um, very anxious. Because I just worry about it is it's different. This it, it, it gets worse every time. Right. Because it's not just the fact that we have to get out the vote, but it's exactly what you brought up with, which is and we now understand voter suppression. 100%. And I've been covering this, the gerrymandering, which right. is another form of voter suppression. Since 2010, I've been wanting to talk about this, and most mainstream media is just like, eh. And by the way, in 2012, we went to Rochester, New York, to do this story. Rochester, New York, has one of the highest, that back then it had the highest infant mortality rate for Black and Latina women. What? Of The country, Rochester, Rochester, Black women, Puerto Rican women in particular, and for years. And it was then in 2012 when we started talking about uh, toxic shock, toxic stress that is historic, you know, this historical trauma that lives in your body. And I remember when we tried to talk about this on our PBS documentary, we got a lot of pushback from you know science editors who are like you can't talk about this of course now everybody now understands that this is the science right this right. is the science so um you're right we we have to understand <clears throat> that the data also shows that that for our babies eh, historically coming into life in this country is difficult right? challenging
1: it's such an important point about the drama that lives in your body and how that manifests um, in in so many different ways, it has been so great to have you on. I want to have you on all the time. So just you know, we're here every morning. So let's <laughs> let us know when you can come because I want I'm, to talk to you I all the you time. You know what? You know how
0: far I went. I went from my bedroom
1: to my desk so me too
0: well I came to the
1: living room to be clear because I do the I do the morning show like on my chase lounge you know like I have one of those like sectional situations so I can put my legs up and everything it's very very comfortable
0: Um, I do want to say if I can tell you one quick thing Zerlina before I leave this notion of generational trauma and how it lives in your body I just want to say I didn't know this but and I won't go into the whole story because I know you, you need to wrap and go to your next segment but it I, in the writing of my book, the first one and then the second one, here's when I understood, and I don't know if you know this, that they almost, the immigration agents almost took me from my mother at the Dallas airport when we came in 1962. The immigration agent says, Oh, your daughter's got a rash. Let me just take her. We're just going to keep her here in the airport in Dallas. You go ahead on to meet your husband in Chicago with the three other kids. And in that moment, my mom freaks out and basically starts screaming. We, we, I, the way we understood the story was that she was being all feminist and like no, she went into a panic attack and started screaming, and that's why they, the guy gave you know did not take me. Why do I say this? Because when I found out that story as a result of Donald Trump's zero tolerance policy and the, the on purpose taking of kids, I understood exactly. Why I am, <clears throat> why I am the journalist that I am. Mm-hmm. I understood that trauma is connected to why I take the issue of immigration writ large so seriously. And people are always like, "Oh, well, that's just because you're so immigranty and you're so Mexicany." That you, <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Actually, it's because I'm an American citizen. Because I became an American citizen, and so I'm obsessed with this country's capacity for inhumanity to be enacted. Towards people who simply were not born in this country, and it sits, it sits on the inhumanity yeah. that we all witness in the murder of George Floyd.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that it, oh god, I'm I'm so glad that you added that on in the end because I think it's a, such an important point about the connections to your our own history, but also um, the generations before and how all of that is manifesting in this moment of American history. I mean, it's all like intersecting colliding find another word for it but it's all happening right now as we head into the midterm elections maria (laughs) iniosa thank you so much for being here this morning award-winning all of the all of the white men awards (laughs) that's not my I'm favorite my favorite it.
0: well my, my favorite award from a white woman is the molly ivans give him hell award i will take that <laughs> oh one, i love know. that
1: uh, yeah Isn't that's a good that beautiful one. yeah that's a beautiful one
0: thank you <laughs> so, so much for be being here with with this you, morning Serena, and and and, and, can, and hello to all of your audience i'm so proud of you for being a part of Serlina's family and thank you to all of your producers and the, the work that you do on, a, on the daily sis really appreciate it
1: thank you so much for saying that and thank you for being here this morning please stay safe Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.